1: Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. My guest is Lou Adler. He is the founder and CEO of the Adler Group. You can find him online at louadlergroup.com. Lou has worked with many, many hiring managers and recruiters. He's been doing this for the past 20 years and uh, is one of the foremost experts in this category. Lou, thanks for joining me on the Learning Unlocked podcast. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Brian, and thank you very much for inviting me. I've been doing this for 40 plus years, so I've been doing this a long, long time.
1: So, okay, let's start there. I mean, 40 years ago, things were a lot different than they are today. What are some of the biggest hiring changes that you've seen over the course of your career?
0: Yeah, that's a pretty cool question. I didn't think I'd set you up for that one. Uh, But quite frankly, I don't think that much has changed, although people think a lot has changed. What's changed mostly is that people can change jobs easier. With job boards, uh, and there's dozens of them, and some of them have come and gone, and now you got LinkedIn, and you got Indeed, and you got ZipRecruiter, now you got talent.com. So it's easier, the barriers to finding another job are a lot easier. Uh, So when people get aggravated today, they can leave and find another job in 24 to 48 hours, at least start applying. Uh, In the olden days, you gotta look in a newspaper and find a job and put a resume together and mail it. Uh, So the speed of finding a job has changed. I don't know that human nature has fundamentally changed. But what it's made, it's easier to leave. And I don't know that's a good thing or a bad thing. There's probably some balance. It's too easy to leave. In the olden days, if you got aggravated with your boss or something, two weeks later, before you got that interview, you kind of went through it. It wasn't, it was just a temporary problem. Today, you get aggravated, 48 hours, you're ready to go. And I think that it's created a short-term mindset, which I think is inappropriate and has actually been damaging in the long run. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's interesting in any relationship. I don't care if it's dating or your work relationship. If you feel like I can get out of this pretty easily, I can get back on the menu and and find out, you know, if I can better my situation. I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. It would seem to me that, you know, maybe people are a little impatient or just not willing to work through things as much because of the ease, like you said, of getting on a job board and finding all these different opportunities that are out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the worst thing is it forces short-term thinking. So the decision to leave and accept another job is based on avoiding pain, not on improving your career growth path, which is a much harder decision to make. So short-term thinking has really been the biggest change that I've seen. And as I say, I don't know that it's been a positive. And I think if you look at job satisfaction over the last 20, 30 years, it hasn't improved at all. It's gotten young know, people are only a third of the people are fully satisfied, a third are okay, and a third are disappointed. So That hasn't changed
1: over the years. So, Lou, the other thing going on right now is we've got the great resignation. So, you know, we've got a couple million people in the U.S. alone resigning every month from their job. So between, hey, I can change jobs pretty easily because of job boards and I'm impatient and I want to upgrade my situation and... The Great Resignation, where there are less jobs now or more jobs that need to be filled. This is a really unique time.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Because you look at it, uh, it's about two. The quit rates a little less than three percent per month in the last three or four months. And it's it's usually about one and a half to two percent. But you think about it, you multiply that over the course of the year, three little less than three percent, twelve months is a little. It's about a third of the people are leaving in jobs every year. So again, it just perpetuates the short-term thinking. Uh, I'm going to leave to avoid pain. If my new job is less painful, I'll take it. But then 30 to 60 days later, you say, "Ah, this job isn't any better than I had. i am making a little bit more money, but I'm not any happier. And uh, you get into this job hunting syndrome, uh, which is damaging in the long run.
1: One of the things that you talk about is hiring for the anniversary date rather than the start date. Explain what that means to our audience.
0: Well, what it means from my standpoint, so my perspective is as a recruiter, I have to put a person in a job and recommend that person go to a job. And I only and I'm an outside recruiter, so I only get paid if the person, well, I might get paid earlier, but I basically get paid to find people to put in jobs. But early on, I put in a one-year guarantee, basically saying now you, the candidate, will like this job for a year and you won't quit. And hiring manager, you'll like this person, you want to promote them after a year. So the idea of hiring for the anniversary date says. On the anniversary date, the candidate says, I'm glad I took this job and I'm glad I'm still here. Hiring manager says, I'm glad I hired that person and I want it to stay here. That is a tougher decision because you got to look at all of the variables that go on with job satisfaction. Do I like this work? Am I good at this work? Can I work with the team? Uh, can I work with the manager and manager? Hey, can this person work with the team, achieve results, make things happen? So it's a much more complicated decision uh, that takes time and effort. So what I always say is to get there, you got to spend more time with fewer people if you're the company on the hiring side. But as a candidate, you got to look very carefully at, is this the right career move for me? Not just the right money move, what I got on the start date. And I think too many people focus on the offer package, not what they're going to be doing over the course of a year. And if it's really a place they want to grow and develop their careers.
1: What's the difference between a great hire and a great candidate?
0: Yeah, and I actually... When I take search assignments, and I actually had a, a client this morning, was a mid-sized retail company looking for a director uh, to run all their stores. I just said, what does this person need to do over the course of the year that you would consider the person being successful? And it's always five or six performance objectives. In this case, it was evaluate the current store distribution chain, uh, evaluate the leadership team. But it was a bunch of tasks. A great hire and on their job description, though, it didn't say any of that. It basically said, we need someone with 10 years experience in retail, uh, had these kinds of skills, had these kinds of personalities, had this kind of education. So a great candidate meets the buzz list or the laundry list of skills, experience, and competencies. And they also agree to this job uh, and the criteria on the job. But a year later, that, that stuff doesn't matter. Did they achieve the results? A great hire is the one who can achieve the results. And sometimes you find people have all the skills, aren't motivated to do the work. On the other hand, you find a bunch of good people who have a different mix of skills, more diverse skills, different background, who can achieve that work. So by focusing on this criteria of skills, experience, and competencies, good first impression, and the candidate focusing on, yes, this offer is what I want, it's the right pain, you get a lot of short-term decision-making on both sides of the desk. A great hire, someone says, no, I can do this work. It opens up the pool to people who can do that work but it's a more involved decision on both sides of the desk. So a great candidate meets all the short-term criteria, a great hire meets all the long-term criteria, and they're not always the same. More
1: of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit OpenSesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. All right, so what are some helpful tips to keep in mind when you're crafting those job descriptions so you come up with that great hire, not the great candidate?
0: Well, I the, the group I talked to this morning, I said, "What is it, what do you expect this person to accomplish over the first year? And it was really rebuild the whole store infrastructure and the training program. And obviously they had some margin and product uh, distribution things as well. So we spent an hour, hour and a half. When I looked at the job description, it didn't say any of that. It just said, had 10 years experience in this kind of industry, this kind of product line. But this could be true for an engineering job, could be true for a marketing job, for an accounting job. It doesn't matter. Most people don't define the work that needs to be done and what that person needs to be successful. So once I got this major objective with this group that I talked to this morning, I said, what would you think the person would do the first 30 days? What would they do in the first 90 days? What would they do in the first year? Uh, So we've really defined the work as a sequence of steps over the course of the first year and the second year. Pretty, It was a pretty big job. And I'm going to be interviewing the candidates uh, this week about it. And I'm going to just say, "Hey, tell me about here's some of the things this group needs to do. What would you, what have you done that's most comparable to that? So once I've defined the work as a series of performance objectives, I just ask the candidate to explain to me what they've accomplished most comparable to that. And I'm really focusing on, their performance doing comparable work. It doesn't have to be identical, but it has to be comparable. Uh, and I've got to understand, and the real part of it is, does this person fit with the organization and the culture of this company, the pace, the decision-making, the resources, uh, and particularly working closely with that hiring manager. So it's a different kind of an assessment process, but it's focused on that person's past performance, doing comparable work based on what needs to be done on the job. Total game changer. Yeah. How
1: can a job description attract a more diverse talent
0: pool? Well, the, the area is, and this had some legal implications. I started doing what I'm describing 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I said, no, let's define the work as a series of performance objectives. And the company, no, you can't do that. Law, law says you've got to define objective criteria. 10 years of this, five years of this, this kind of background. I said, well... Upgrading the team and implementing a new system over the course of a year is objective. And then HR people push me back. So I talked to the number one labor attorney in the country, number one labor attorney in the country, named David Goldstein out of Littler Mendelssohn. He wrote a white paper for my most recent book, Hire With Your Head, which you can find on Amazon, Hire With Your Head. Right in there, he said, no, by defining work as a series of performance objectives, it meets all legal requirements. More importantly, it opens a pool to anybody who can do that work. If a person can do that work, they're perfectly qualified. It doesn't matter if they're old or young, black or white, green or yellow, physically challenged or not. If they can do the work, they deserve the job. So just by focusing on performance criteria, you open up the pool to everybody. When you list skills, experience, and competencies, and has to have this kind of background, go to this school, you actually narrow the pool to non-diverse candidates. And I think that's the issue that it's it's kind of subtle, and you wouldn't see it instantly. But once you talk about it, oh yeah, of course. They can do the work they deserve the job. And that's what I tell my clients. Give me some relief on the mix of skills and experiences. I will not compromise on their ability to do the work we've defined in this intake meeting. And I think that's the game changer. Lou, we hear about culture
1: all the time. And especially in the last couple of years, what are companies doing around mental health? What are they doing about diversity? And, you know, what are they doing about, you know, they're allowing me to work remote or know, they understand I have a family and, you know, I've got some priorities there. A lot of the studies I read say that if you aren't part of a culture that you like, or you don't feel like you click with your boss or learn from your boss, those are two of the biggest deciding factors about either A, working for a company in the first place, or B, I'm going to leave this company because they don't align with what I'm looking for. What can companies do when they're recruiting employees to showcase we have a good culture and you know you're gonna align with the person you're reporting to.
0: Why let's go through let's break that one down. That that needs a lot of work. It's That's a lot, a lot of unpacking work. there. A lot of unpacking. <laughs> the issue is, is that from a companies all sudden you got this great culture. Right. The out of it is that fifty to seventy-five percent of the culture for an individual is your boss. You can have a great culture and a crappy boss, and you've got a crappy culture. So I call that managerial fit. And part of this one-year package, if that manager and the new employee don't get along, it will be an abject failure on both sides. Neither will be very happy. So I really focus a lot on that managerial relationship. A lot of ways to do it, but some. But understanding how that that manager develops and trains people, and has a track record of doing it, and understanding the candidate and their need for management or no management all of those things are very, very important. Uh, and that's a cl- critical aspect of culture. The flexibility side, they either agree or don't agree, so you that's kind of mechanical, uh, but that's changing over time. But the other thing that I really see with respect to culture, which is a good proxy for culture, is the rate of pace of change you're going into an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial startup where decisions are made quickly without a lot of resources and you got to make judgments and instantaneous uh, situation. You got to be involved in changes almost daily. Well, you have to have a background of being able to survive in that kind of culture. On the other hand, you might have a company that's reasonably mature, but improving a lot and changing things. Well, that's different than a bureau- bureaucratic culture that's not going to change at all. That's just looking for excellence in delivery. Uh, so, you got to understand where that company is on a rate of change standpoint, which is a good proxy for all types of culture. And number two is how that person deals with his or her manager. You get those two right, you got 75 to 80% right in terms of a good cultural fit. You don't, plus the person motivated to do the work you've defined the, and the key performance objectives. You get those, those pieces right, you're going to more times than not uh, get the right hiring decision.
1: More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like TED and Harvard, and having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash Course of the week. Back to learning unlocked. Here is Brian Berger. So as the recruiter, you in this case, or you know, if you're the HR person for a company, how do you do your background and your research on the manager to go, okay, the person I'm putting under this manager, it's gonna be the right fit. Like how how do you get to know them better versus just taking someone else's word for it that it's gonna be a good fit?
0: This is where it does become. If I had to say the, the hardest thing is what you just said there, that a lot of the other stuff is pretty easy to figure out. That managerial fit is a little bit more difficult. The way I would, if I know that for many of my clients, I knew the man. I worked with them two or three times, different hires. I've met the person, worked with them over the course of a year or two. I pretty much get to know them, how they make decisions. I hear the feedback from people that I've placed to work with a person. So I kind of know what they're like, but I Quickly, when I try to look at it, and there's a book called Situational Leadership, but he really talks about managerial style that ranges from the micromanager uh, to the trainer, to the supervisor, to the coach, to the delegator, to the hands-off. And as I listen to managers talk and as I take the in-team, I get a sense of where they are in that spectrum. Good managers tend to be good coaches and uh, delegators, and they can help and develop their team. So I look for candidates that have uh, worked with managers that have that style. If I get somebody who's a real micromanager, I've got to find someone who can work with that way. If I find a manager who's very hands-off and just says, I just want a person to do it. I don't want to manage or coach them or train them. Well, I got to find somebody who can deal with that kind of manager. But that is the harder part. And I would say most managers and most recruiters and most interviews don't ever consider. But in my mind, when I was giving a year guarantee, that's where most people fail. It wasn't their inability to do the work. It was the clash and styles between the manager and the new employee. So it's not insignificant. It takes a lot of work. This morning I was doing. The, I'm not doing the recruiting. I'm helping this company find a few people, but I'm starting to get to know the VP and the president of the company. It's a mid-sized company, but uh, I kind of understand their style. I just ask them, How do you? What kind of people do you like? What's the best person to work for you? So you start asking questions and understand. Uh, that their methodology of managing and developing people.
1: Just a couple of minutes left. With a lot of companies going hybrid remote, the pool of candidates is larger. Uh, You can have someone working in another country for you or in a different part of the country for you. And it used to be, you know, you got to be in the office, you got to be in the same city. And if you're not, then that's a deal breaker. How has that changed recruiting
0: for you? Well, it's profound. Uh, There's no question about it. Since I haven't recruited in this COVID epidemic, I can't say I have personal experience other than I talk to candidates all the time and I talk to managers all the time. It is going to happen that people will be more flexible uh, and companies have to be able to deal with that. What I see is some kind of hybrid going forward of hybrid of work where, hey, you work part time. You work part of your time at home or in a flex office and a couple of days a week you'll come in or one week you'll be on site. I've got one woman who's the uh, VP of a, another company where she lives in Southern California. Her headquarters in New York. She said, I took the job because I only have to be in New York three days a, a month. So I leave on a Monday and I come back on a Friday and then I do my other work while I'm home in Southern California. And she says, I travel probably one other week in there. But I think this idea of flexible location is going to be critical and companies have to learn to adapt to it and employees have to learn to adapt to it. But I do think from a longer term standpoint, if you're not face-to-face with your team and your boss, uh, you're just going to be more of a gig worker uh, and you'll just be doing that same kind of work on a consistent basis. It's pretty hard to trust somebody and know somebody if you don't see them one-on-one. So that, that issue of, I think, Totally working at home and out of the office will be career-limiting for certain people. For most people, I just don't see how you're going to get promoted if you don't know your people. And how can you be a manager uh, if you're not working close with your person? The one I talked to this morning, she said, I'm on the road two weeks a month. I come into the office one week It's a totally different person. But I'm with my team out there in the field. That's where I meet them. You know, so um, now she happens to have offices around the country or stores around the country. She can do that. But I think that's going to be the way you're going to have to manage and work with people in the future. At some point in time, you're going to have to get together pretty regularly. So, I mean, that kind
1: of changes the skill set of a manager, right? Like it used to be you manage in the office, you manage in person. Now you got to learn how to manage remotely as part of your job. And I think
0: that's going to be a tough one. I don't think a lot of it is going to be a tough one. I think it's going to be managing a tougher job interesting. You're absolutely right. I don't think that's going to be easy. And being first line manager, you have direct staff reporting to you. That's probably the toughest job in the world and it's going to be tougher. Managing managers is actually a lot easier. Because you don't have, I mean, if you got uh, three managers and each manager's got seven people, you only have to manage the three people. You don't have to manage all the seven of each one of them. So uh, managing managers is an easier job than managing professional staff or uh staff of 10 to 15 people. So interesting dynamic that's taking place right now. Work is definitely changing uh, as a result of COVID and how people work and how they respond. And you add it at the top of the uh, call. Turnover is profound. You don't manage right. You don't see right. You don't know a person's leaving or not. So, I mean, it's it changes the whole dynamic of work. And I think we have to go through that. It's, it's going to change over the next year or two.
1: Lou Adler, founder and CEO of the Adler Group. Find him online at louadlergroup.com. I'm looking forward to a webinar that I'm going to be doing with Lou on opensesame.com. It's going to take place on April 12th. If you're listening to this after April 12th, you can watch it on demand at opensesame.com. Lou, thanks again for joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Brian, for inviting me. I hope this was helpful information.
1: Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked, presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple
0: Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.